Well, I like to watch war movies and uh, documentaries, but not, not because I like war itself. Rather, it is true the trying times of war that we see the people for who they really are, what they stood for, and whether they live that out. See, one of my favorite war drama miniseries is The Band of Brothers. Now, the series dramatizes the history of Easy Company, 2nd Battalion of the 101st Airborne Division. The soldiers were Americans who were parachuted into Europe to fight against Nazi Germany in World War II. Now, at the start of every episode, there's always this part where the surviving soldiers will give their eyewitness account of the events. Now, in one particular episode, the soldiers interviewed all gave compliments to the officer in, in command of the company at the time, Captain Richard Winters. Now, all the interviewees, they, they said that they will follow him no matter what. And why is that so? Well, firstly, he led by example. He didn't hide from trouble and danger. And that particular episode begins with Captain Winters charging ahead of everyone you know, as they try to take down an outpost, which turned out to be two companies of about 300 German troops. And unlike other officers in, uh, in the war who ran away from danger, Captain Winters lived up to what an officer is supposed to be. He didn't pay lip service to what he believed in. But secondly, he also cared for his soldiers. Even when he was uh, promoted and uh, no longer in charge of that particular company, he was still concerned about the well-being of the soldiers there. He made sure that a good officer in charge was looking after them. As such, it is no wonder that all his fellow officers, all the NCOs, you know, and, and all the other soldiers, they they will all follow him and they gave testimony of what a great leader he was. He lived out what an officer is supposed to be. He lived out what he stood for. Now, what about Christians? See, we are people who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, who loved and died for our sins. So how do we know if we truly believe in this gospel truth? Now, if you have been with us for the past few weeks as we went through the letter of 1 John, you will know that all those who profess to believe in Jesus Christ will not continue sinning and will love others instead. Those born of God or born again in God with a new nature will live as Jesus did in love and obedience. The letter of 2 John and 3 John calls that walking in the truth. Now, walking in the Bible has the meaning of living, right? It has to do with the person's conduct and, and his behavior. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, as well as his commands to his people. So together, <coughs> excuse me, walking in the truth for Christians means to live a life that is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question for us today as we 
listen to God's word is, how do we walk in the truth? How do we walk in the truth? So the letter of 3 John, they will give an answer to that question. See, the letter of 3 John is the shortest book in the Bible. It is written by the elder, which is believed to be the Apostle John. And it is a personal letter to this person called Gaius. And this letter revolves around three persons. Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. Two of which are positive examples and one negative. And now it's through the testimonies concerning these three people that will help us to know how Christians are to walk in the truth. So how do Christians walk in the truth? Well, the first way from the letter of 3 John is to love and support the workers of the gospel. And we will see that in the first example of Gaius. So what do we know about Gaius? Well, he's a dear friend of the Apostle John. See, John called Gaius beloved four times in this letter. Verse 1 tells us that he is loved by John in truth. Now, this truth, as we said earlier, is the gospel of Jesus. Therefore, this relationship between John and Gaius is grounded and bonded in the gospel. See, John loved Gaius because of the love of God for his people and the love that God has generated in them. So as long as they both hold on to the authentic gospel of God, they will be bounded together in, divine, in the divine love of God. And John's love for Gaius can be seen in his care for and his prayer for Gaius uh, and his joy over him. And he starts off by praying for the physical well-being of Gaius. See, he prayed that well, all may go well with you and, and that you may be in good health. Now, this goes to show that as Christians, the physical aspect of our life is also important. So we need not be modern Gnostics, right, who rejects the material side of the world. Of course, we are also not to overread this prayer and elevate the physical and the material. Now, this is not a proof text for the prosperity gospel, which assumes that God will certainly give you good health and wealth. See, if that was the case, then the New Testament would not be full with cause to persevere and endure suffering. Now, while John prayed for Gaius' physical well-being, he wasn't too concerned about his spiritual well-being. See, in fact, verse 3 tells us he, he rejoiced greatly over the spiritual well-being of Gaius. It seems that the brothers, which we will know later, are the gospel workers sent out by John's church, testify that Gaius has been walking in the truth. In other words, Gaius has lived consistently with the gospel truth he believed in. And for that, John said that he, he has no greater joy than to know and to hear that his children are walking in the truth. Now, I do not know what gives you joy. It could be the latest football results that you know last week, last night, right? 
or the latest signing they had. While it could be the good grades you got from your exams, or the promotion you got at work. Well, nothing wrong with deriving joy from all this. However, for the Apostle John, there is no greater joy for him than to know that God's people are living out who they are supposed to be as Christians. And I believe that is the same for many of our church leaders. There is indeed no greater joy than when we hear of our DG members, our, you know, people in Basque, in, in, in our youth, our children, they are living out a godly life and showing love to one another. Now, we have a number of youths with special needs in our youth ministry. And there is this particular youth with special needs among us who expresses himself in a very loud manner. See, he will run around, you know, while stomping his feet very loudly. Right? He loves to sing, right? And, and, but, he, but he sings totally out of tune and, and out of beat with the rest. And on top of that, he, he sings really loudly. So you can't help but to notice him. See, many of our younger youths who do not know his condition will, you know, snigger, talk behind his back, laugh at him. But after a while, they got used to him, and, well, our big group time together is only about 15 minutes. However, his Bible study group is with him throughout the entire time at basic. And this youth is very regular. He hardly misses a session. And there was this time when his group went for dinner as usual, you know, at the open-air sky garden at Junction 8. You know, after dinner, this youth, you know, he, he ran around the, the playground at the sky garden and, and he startled a, a few children with, you know, his loud stomping. And then one of the youths from his group quickly ran up to the father of the young children and apologized on his behalf. And as it turned out, this family is a neighbor to this youth who apologized. And, and the father is an old friend of Maysin and I, who we have not met for more than a decade. And, I, and after that incident, he wrote an email to us. Well, let, let me just read parts of it for you. It soon became clear that while this youth was associated with your group, he was actually quite different. It was heartening to me that you did not shun or disassociate with him. It would have been easier not to have to apologize for or explain what he was doing. It may be reasonable even to think that it is better to have nothing to do with him. But by allowing him to continue his activities alongside yours, I think you demonstrated God's love for people with special needs. He then continues, as I reflect on how competitive our society is, I wonder if we can hold a small place, a small space for people like them. It is my hope that the church, the people who profess to follow Jesus, will also reflect his love and concern for the vulnerable in society. And what I saw on Saturday gave me a reason to be optimistic for the future. My prayer is that more Christians will rise up 
and demonstrate more fully and deeply our Lord's concern for such as this. Now, I don't know how you feel when you hear this, but Mason and I can't help but give thanks to God. See, we were so deeply moved and, and using John's words, words we, we rejoice greatly at what love some of our youths have shown to these youth with special needs. Now, I must qualify that such acts of love do not always happen in our groups. See, there are, there are times when this particular youth is a lot more challenging. And due to our limited number of leaders, you know, we are not always able to care and shepherd him and, and other youths with special needs. And furthermore, you know, youth being used, especially when they're younger, they are really not good at being patient and understanding. However, a letter like this is a great testimony and encouragement to these youth leaders and his group members. Their love and their patience are evidence of them walking in the truth. And it ultimately brings God glory and honour. Indeed, we rejoice greatly at that and I pray that this may encourage all of us to do likewise. But as for Gaius, he showed his spiritual well-being and his walk in the truth by loving the brothers. Now, who are these brothers? They were, prob they were probably itinerant missionaries sent by John's church. See, in those days, missionaries go on these short to medium periods, mission trips, you know, to go and proclaim the gospel. And most of, of the inns or the motels, we would call them today, you know, were, were mostly a bit dodgy, right? And furthermore, these missionaries, they were not well-to-do. As such, they are dependent on others, especially the Christians, to support their work by providing shelter and for their physical needs. See, the hosts may or may not know these missionaries personally. See, for Gaius, these brothers were strangers to him according to verse 5. See, Gaius would not have known them till they arrived at his doorsteps. Now, we all know that it's not really easy to let strangers into your house, right? See, we do not know what kind of people they may be. You know, are they reliable? Are they trustworthy? See, at those times, there are no like, profile pictures on social media you know, to conduct your background check, how they look like, what activities they have been part of, right? No such things. Well, perhaps they came with recommendations, recognition letters from John that gave them some credibility. But whatever the case, Gaius hosted these strangers generously and lovingly by giving them shelter and food. And Gaius may not be an official church leader. You know, he's presumably someone who is respected and known to have hosted many. However, the letter did not state Gaius that he's the leader of this church. And he's probably not. But nonetheless, Gaius walked the truth and loved the brothers with his hospitality. And according to verses 3 and 6, these brothers then testify to John and perhaps to his church of Gaius' love and obedience to the gospel when they return. John then encourages Gaius to keep doing so for people such as these brothers. 
See, according to verse 6, Gaius is to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. See, sending them on their journey means to give them sufficient support for the next lap of their journey. Again, it will probably involve giving them enough food, giving them enough money to carry on their missionary efforts. And it is to be in a manner worthy of God. In other words, this sending off must be befitting of those who serve the Lord of this universe. See, it must not be done grudgingly, it must not be done unwillingly, but rather generously and joyfully. It's as if they are welcoming and supporting the Lord Jesus himself. And then John gave three reasons for loving and supporting this, uh, those, all those who are doing gospel work in verses 7 to 8. Well, firstly, these brothers have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, the name refers to Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, it is the name which is above every name, then the only name in which salvation can be found. This means that these brothers, they are going out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will come to know God and be saved. And it is for God's name and His glory that these brothers are doing this. Hence, they are to be supported in this endeavor. But secondly, verse 7 also tells us that these brothers are accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, of course, the Gentiles here refers to the heathen or or simply just the non-Christians. See, Gentiles here... They, you know, it's not that they are prohibited from receiving any material from these Gentiles, these non-believers. However, it is not their policy or practice to do so. You see, at those, in those times, many you know, non-Christian orators and, and philosophers, they will, they will go around giving speeches, sharing their knowledge as a good way of living. And you will remember the Apostle Paul He himself refrained from taking money from the people he preached to so that he will not be identified as someone who peddled the word of God for profit. See, he has every right to ask for support, but he didn't do that so that he would not be a stumbling block. As such, you can see that it is very important for believers to support all these gospel workers and missionaries. In fact, in fact, believers have an obligation. If you look at the passage there, it's denoted by the verb ought in verse 8. Otherwise, the missionaries will have no means to carry on this all-important gospel work. And a third reason found in verse 8 Christians are to love and support all those doing gospel work because in doing so, they, became, they become fellow workers for the gospel truth. You know, in the letter of 2 John, the apostle warns the church not to show hospitality to all the false teachers because that would mean sharing in the wicked works. However, in 3 John, Gaius is to continue to be generous and hospitable to legit missionaries. See, Gaius himself may not be gifted or, or called to be a missionary. However, he can share in this God-glorifying endeavor as a partner by hosting, refreshing, 
and providing for the needs of the missionaries. Now, in more modern mission terms, Gaius may not be a goer, but he is a sender. Well, likewise, it's the same for us. See, while we are all ambassadors and witnesses for Jesus, not all of us are gifted, not all of us are suited to be missionaries and preachers. But in the body of Christ, we all play different roles, and none is greater in value than the other. See, if you are not the one going out, then think about how you can make the going out possible and easier for others. Of course, the most direct application is in providing for the material needs of our missionary and gospel workers. You know, in ARPC, we have fully supported all our missionaries after we have tested and prepared them. And perhaps like Apostle John, we fully recommend and endorse the people we send out. Many, many of my Bible college mates in Australia, they went out as missionaries and gospel workers in like parachurch organizations. However, they have to go around to different churches and friends to raise financial support for their work because the churches there are less resourced and smaller. And thankfully, many of them come across many generous Christians who are willing to partner them in this gospel work. See, partnering in the gospel work is not merely just giving financially. See, one of the most important partnering work that you can do is to pray for them. Pray for the missionaries, pray for their work. See, if you don't know where to start, how to pray for them, then, well, just use our church monthly prayer bulletin and join in in our monthly prayer meetings because every month we will pray for both our local as well as our overseas gospel work. Now, if you want to partner our missionaries more closely, then consider joining their prayer support group. See, from there, you can get regular updates on their work and their prayer points. And perhaps you can support these missionaries better by even caring for their families in Singapore. Because that will go a long way in encouraging and supporting our missionaries in their gospel work. So how do Christians walk in the truth? The first way from the letter of 3 John is to love and support the workers of the gospel. We see that in the first positive example of Gaius. But secondly, it is not to put ourselves first and to rebuild those who do when needed. And that is seen through the negative example of Diotrephes in verses 9 to 10. Now, what do we know about Diotrephes? Now, there's not much written about him. He probably had some kind of a leadership role in the same church as Gaius. And even if he's not an official leader, he is at least the host of the house church, which gives him the power to put people out of the church. Now, the issue at hand in, for Diotrephes is, is not theological, but personal. 
See, unlike the false teachers in 1 John, Diotrephus is not said to have a false doctrine or, or a wrong understanding of, of Jesus Christ. His problem is one of personal ambition. See, according to verse 9, he likes to put himself first. You know, the Greek word is literally a, a compound verb made up of the word love and first. In other words, he loves to be first. He is more in love with himself than with God and with others. Now, what's the result of such self-love and self-promotion? Verses 9 to 10 tells us four things that Diotrephus did. Firstly, he did not acknowledge the authority of the apostle. See, John has written earlier to the church. It's probably to, you know, a letter to ask the church to welcome and support the brothers that he's sending out as missionaries. Now, of course, this letter is, is lost now to us. We don't have it. But I can imagine, you know, Diotrephus tearing it up when he received it, right? Because he is not going to adhere to John's instruction despite John being an apostle. See, Diotrephus wants to be autonomous and be his own boss. However, his motive is not godly. It is to feed his own selfish ambition and vain glory. He doesn't want to be accountable to anyone. He doesn't want to answer up to anyone. But secondly, he talks wicked nonsense against the apostle and the missionaries John sends in order to justify their ungodly ambition. See, in other words, he brings empty charges against them and accusing, accuses them falsely with malicious gossip. See, John is a rival to his authority and Diotrephus wants to undermine John with these false accusations. However, Diotrephus is not content with that. He thirdly refuses to welcome the missionaries that John sent. Now that itself is, is quite appalling, right? Because it goes against the basic courtesy uh, in those days, and more importantly, he is preventing the gospel from spreading. See, whatever was said positively about Gaius in supporting the gospel work is now said negatively about Diotrephus. And to add on to that, Diotrephus lastly prevents those who wanted to host the missionaries. He even put these willing partners of the gospel out of the church. See, Diotrephus is not going to allow anyone to defy him. Now, I can imagine Gaius being one of the candidates to be thrown out. And perhaps that's the reason why John had to write personally to Gaius and to affirm what he's doing is right and to encourage him to carry on. And what is the Apostle John going to do with Diotrephus? Is he going to just let it rest and let Diotrephus be? Well, he will not. Verse 10 tells us that John intends to visit the church in person, and when he does, he will bring up all the things that Diotrephus has been doing. And John is going to confront, he's going to call him to account for his actions. 
And that is especially so because Diotrephus' self-love is inhibiting the growth of the gospel and wrongly punishing the godly. See, he himself is not walking in the truth and is preventing others from doing so. So rebuking and confronting Diotrephus is actually love for him and for the church. See, if he gets away with it, it's going to perpetuate and enable his sinfulness. And that is not consistent with what Christians should be. Now, my friends, it's, it's scary and awful, isn't it? When people love themselves more than they love God and his people. See, what do we know when we or anyone loves to be first and loves himself more? You see, whether at work, in the family or in the church, see, the person will always want to be in the centre of everything. See, if there's a new idea, if there's a, it's a new project, he or she must be the lead person. Anything that does not involve the person is either shelved or, or neglected. The person must, be, must have the last say, right? Or should I say the only say? There's hardly any accountability, hardly any collaboration. It is the person's way or the highway. Now, another good indicator of self-love is the inability to rejoice in the success of others. Why? Because just like Diotrephus, there must not be a rival that undermines his position. See, a self-loving person will not care if the success of others is beneficial or God-glorifying. The person only cares whether his or her position is threatened or undermined. That is totally unlike a person who walks in the gospel of humility and love for others. So what shall we do in response to such self-loving and self-promoting people? Well, for many of us, growing up in a predominantly Asian culture, you know, we, we do not like to confront, right? We sweep it like a cupboard. We may even, you know, cover our lack of courage with notions of love, peace, and unity. Now, I'm not saying that we are to be trigger-happy in throwing accusations against each other. Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy 5 gives us clear guidelines on how to do it rightly. But the point in 3 John is that we are not to let someone go unobstructed with their selfish ambition because it brings them harm rather than help and it will bring harm to the church and the name of Christ. It also tells us that true love must be in the truth. True love must be in the truth. See, love is not merely accepting whatever choices people make. See, love does not mean accommodating and agreeing with whatever a person thinks or does. In fact, in fact, as we see in 3 John, true love may mean rebuking someone for his or her sin. Otherwise, it is just indulgence. 
indulgence that will bring harm to the person and others because it will be misunderstood as acceptable and right in the eyes of God. See, by indulging the person, we may become partners of wickedness instead of partners in the truth. So how do we walk in the truth? The first way from the letter of 3 John is to love and support the workers of the gospel. Secondly, it is not to put ourselves first and to rebuke those who do when needed. But lastly, it is to imitate good and not evil. And that this is seen through the second positive example of Demetrius in verses 11 to 12. Now John addresses Gaius as beloved a fourth time and he exhorts him not to imitate evil but to imitate good. Now clearly the evil here refers to Diotrephus and, and Gaius is to imitate Demetrius instead. You see, in all likelihood, Demetrius is the bearer of this letter However, we cannot be certain who Demetrius is with the very scant details we have in this letter. However, we know that he's a credible example of one who is good. For he has at least three, three good testimonies going for him. See, so according to verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. Now that's pretty impressive. Everyone who has known Demetrius can vouch for him and his good character. But secondly, he has a good testimony from the truth itself. Now that's pretty cryptic, but it's not unfamiliar for us in 3 John because Gaius himself is said to be walking in the truth and the brothers whom Gaius hosted testify to this truth. Now that means that the Demetrius, he has proven himself to be one who not only upholds the truth of the gospel, but also lives according to it. See, his life, his behavior, his love for others, and his godliness must have been self-evident and consistent with the gospel. But thirdly, John added his own testimony of Demetrius. You know, as an apostle, John's commendation gives a greater word, a greater you know, weight than the testimony of others. You know, just like if you ask for reference, you ask for the most famous person for reference, right? And Gaius knows that his testimony is true. And that is either due to the credibility of John as the apostle, or perhaps Gaius has met Demetrius before. Because Demetrius could be one of those brothers that Gaius has hosted and supported previously. Hence, he can affirm the good testimony of John of Demetrius. Whatever the case, Demetrius is triply confirmed to be a good person to model after. But we ask ourselves the question, right? Why should we imitate good and not the evil? Well, the implicit reason is found in verse 11. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. You see, whether one does good or evil is actually an indicator of one's spiritual condition. Since God is the origin and, and the source you know, and, uh, of good, all those who are from God will do good. 
It is reminiscent of the language of 1 John. See, all those who are born of God, you know, they will do what Jesus does. See, as God's children, we do good by loving others and not sin. That is consistent with what they believe about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But on the other hand, those who do evil like Diotrephus show that they have not seen God and they have not known him. They are not God's children, but they are of the devil instead. So my friends, what does that mean for us? What does 3 John, the shortest letter in the Bible, mean for us? Now firstly, we cannot say we believe in the gospel but do not love our gospel workers and do nothing for the proclamation of the gospel. See, if Christians do not support such gospel work, it really throws the importance of the gospel into question. See, if Christians believed and based their salvation on this very gospel, then why would they not throw in their lot and make sacrifices to make it known? See, I have really given you some suggestions on how to love and support our full-time missionaries. But what can we do for our local gospel work? Well, it could be like Gaius. Open your homes for ministry purposes. Think about how you can open your homes for your discipleship group or your small group to meet. Now, if you cannot commit to hosting weekly, then consider hosting it for your group's occasional social gathering. You can also invite fellow brothers and sisters to catch up on what is going on in each other's life and, and to pray for one another because it's always easier and cozier at home. See, people don't share their hearts out or, or cry when you meet them in the restaurants. They do it in your homes. Now, you do not have to be an official leader to be hospitable. See, Gaius himself doesn't seem to be a leader. Any Christian can walk in the truth by being hospitable. But lastly, we are to imitate good and not evil. See, we are all imitators of someone if we are humble enough to admit it. See, since young, we, we imitate our parents, right? We watch what they do, what values they hold, and how they conduct themselves. And very often, we emulate them as we grow up. You know, it's, we don't just automatically emulate our parents. We, we're also influenced by people around us. See, we, we see different examples before us. But now as adults, we have to make a conscious and deliberate decision on who we want to model after. See, the Apostle Paul often says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And here in 3 John, the Apostle John tells us to imitate good. See, we are to follow and emulate those who are walking in the truth. They are the ones who behave and love in conformity with the gospel of Jesus Christ.
You know, quite some years back, we have a pair of youth leaders who also used to serve in our boys' and girls' brigade companies. Now, being foreigners, they know very little Mandarin, and surely not our dialects. Yet, they were willing to serve in our boy brigade's company in Woodlands. See, many of the boys and their families at the time were predominantly, you know, Mandarin-speaking and, and dialect-speaking. But that didn't stop them from serving. And then when they got married, they intentionally bought their flat in Woodlands. They opened their doors and they welcomed the boys and the girls with open hearts and open arms. And it was a second home to many of them who were struggling on different fronts. And this couple, every week, they will come to my home for the Basic Leaders Discipleship Group. And then they will take their two very young children with them on public transport to my place. And as you know, young children sleep early while our, our, most of our discipleship groups go late into the night. And again, that did not deter them. They will put the children to bed in one of my rooms, and when DG is over, they will load their children into pram and go home again in public transport. You see, their commitment to God and to the gospel and their love for God's people was so infectious and so exemplary. See, all the younger leaders were so inspired and encouraged that they too tried to emulate them. And they are partly the reason why many of our current youth leaders are still persevering in leading their youth groups despite having young children. Now, that's not to say that everyone has the same capacity or circumstances to do likewise. But nonetheless, this couple has walked the truth. They are the people we should imitate as they imitate Christ who gave his life for us. And it must be our prayer that each one of us, we may be also that good example for others to emulate, to imitate, so that the gospel will go forth and God's name will be glorified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the example of Gaius and Demetrius who walked the truth and lived in love for others. Father, we recognize that it is not easy to be loving and hospitable. So fill us with the love of God in Christ Jesus who gave his life for our sake. May you help us to turn away and resist any self-love and self-promotion. Enable us by your Spirit to open our hearts, our homes, and our pockets. May you use our humble efforts to pass on the gospel, bring people to salvation, and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.